I can't wait for our listeners to dive in and really just learn as much as they can about why the workplace is not working, why women need support, not just, you know, at home, but also at work. And, you know, what can we all do about it? I think that's the biggest thing is what, you know, instead of us just sitting down and figuring out how this will work, it's about time we all stand up and say no. Just this sense of that, like, well, mothers have never been treated as a, um, a protected class. We've never really acknowledged or accepted the discrimination that mothers face in American culture. And the pandemic has really shown a light on this. And we, we as mothers and allies really have to kind of push and say, hey, like, if you look at France, you look at Canada, you look at these other countries, they provide support to women or to parents when they be, have children. And so what is it about American culture that makes us have a lot of feelings about this? You know, what is the resistance towards having paid leave? Why are we not ashamed when 80% of women go back to work seven days after having a child? Why are we not ashamed that we pay more to our zookeepers than we pay to our childcare workers? Why are we not ashamed? You know, when the largest costs, you know, of, of many American families is childcare, when, when mothers like my mom have to make unconscionable choices every day because they can't afford childcare, that they leave their kids alone. All of we've been telling women for so long, 30, 40, 50 years, fix yourself. You're broken. You're wrong. If you're not making it, you're wrong, which is why you look at, again, the past two days, I've seen two incredible articles in the New York Times and the Washington Wall Street Journal about, you know, antidepressants and alcoholism. I mean, we have a mental health epidemic with working mothers who, again, are either popping pills or drinking themselves into an oblivion because they think something's wrong with them because they can't manage what's going on at home and manage their work. And this is something we have done to women. And we have to acknowledge it and we have to stop. In my book, I talk about the need for, you know, for tangible boundaries. So like, you know, there are so many women who like for my friends, we'll go on a girl's trip. Half of them make all the food, plan the play dates, do all the laundry, and then they leave. And, you know, and, and part of it is, again, they're deciding that their partner didn't tell them to do that. They did that. And so part of that, I think, is this expectation of like feeling guilty of doing something for themselves without making sure that everyone else is taken care of. This is Level Up, a Mother Honestly podcast powered by Indeed. The last two years have been about mothers taking a step back to support our families. As we navigate the post-pandemic future of women at work, we are back, ready to level up personally and professionally. We host real and honest conversations with global leaders in parenting, business, work, and life, providing step-by-step solutions for your next level. I am your host, Blessing Adeshian, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly, a chemical engineer, energy, supply chain, and operational excellence leader, and a mother of four. You will also hear from my friend and co-host, Andrea Mullan, founder and CEO of Victory Public Relations and mother to two boys. We are here to level up with Indeed. 
Hi, Blessing. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I feel like much madness is finally over. Hooray. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. And now we're going into crazy April. Yeah, um, April showers. Hopefully they are not rain and they're actually showers. You know what I mean? Yes. We're on the same page because I was going to say that and I was like, mm, let me not jinx it. <laughs> but today we spoke with Rashma Sojani, founder of Girls Who Code, New York Times bestselling author, someone that I am a huge fan of. And I know that you're, you know, you're a personal friend of because of the work that you do on behalf of Mother Honestly. I'm very excited for our listeners to hear this conversation. I would love to know, we're recording this after having had the conversation with Rushma. Blessing, I would love to know from your perspective what you thought was the most interesting piece of that conversation and what you hope our listeners take from it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, let our, let our listeners be the judge of the conversation. But I think everyone who knows Rashma knows that she's a ball of energy. So I, I refer to her even from day one that she's a troublemaker and a good one at that because she really dives into the, you know, the amount of mistreatment that women continue to suffer in the hands of employers and the hands of our policy makers and she won't shut up about it and and that's one of the things that I love about her it's, is that she just won't shut up and and you know she has gone on to create various platforms whether it's you know girls who code or Marshall plan for moms and written amazing books about this and you know I'm just inspired by everything that she does and I can't wait for our listeners to dive in and really just learn as much as they can about why the workplace is not working why women need support yeah. not just you know at home but also at work and you know what can we all do about it I think that's the biggest thing is what you know instead of us just sitting down and figuring out how this will work it's about time we all stand up and say no and really just demand for a better quality of life. I couldn't agree more. And I know that after we recorded that episode, I did. Um, I ordered her latest book, Pay Up, The Future of Women in Work and Why It's Different Than You Think. And I personally am going to read it with a highlighter. I got the hard copy instead of the Kindle version, which is usually my go-to. And, um, you know, I'm. I think that, if there's one thing I hope that our listeners take, it's that there are leaders like Rushma who are truly advocating for us and who are giving us the guidance that we need and the empowerment that we need to help contribute to a better future for all of working moms, families, everybody who participates in the workforce. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's we we already know how hard we women are working in this country. I think it's time that we support them. Uh, but one thing I'm, you know, I'm excited about is, you know, the announcement or should I say the nomination of the Katanji, right, Jackson, yes. to the Supreme Court. I mean, that literally lifted me off my chair yesterday. And I'm just super excited that, you know, this happened while, you know, a family was there and uh, kids are watching and, you know, the whole world was watching and being a working mother, being a black mother, a woman of color, it just really solidified the fact that, you know, working mothers are doing a lot in this country and we're not being recognized for it. 
Um, instead, we're being penalized. And so it's just really exciting to see somebody like Katanji rise up to that level as a mother. And, you know, one of the things that she said that stood out to me was how she wasn't, you know, always available and um, to her daughter. And the reaction, you know, a daughter's reaction was a really like just big smile because, you know, I think that as moms, we're always just too hard on ourselves, right? We think that we're not doing enough for our kids. And I think, you know, that nomination yesterday was just, you know, proof that, you know, she's yeah. doing it all. She's doing all she can for herself and for our family and for our daughter. And what for your, the country. What was your take really. on that? For the country. I, yeah, I similarly, you know, right now there is so much bad news. And I felt like that was a moment of true hope. And we saw what she endured to get there, you know, which um, I think all mothers will probably relate to in that moment that you described where she said that, and it wasn't so much of an acknowledgement as it felt to me as, you know, like a a surrendering to this idea that she wasn't always, she didn't always nail the motherhood, you know, the the were the working motherhood thing, I guess, is how she put it. And I, that hit me, that like really resonated with me because I struggle so much. And sometimes I feel like I'm the only one who does, you know, I look around at all of these women who are really, and you're one of them blessing who seems to be able to juggle all of it and do it with confidence and, you know, a plum and just authority. And sometimes I forget that, you know, it's not every, we all struggle with these challenges. And I'm really very happy that there's a woman sitting on the Supreme Court now who not only experiences that, but is willing to acknowledge it. And hopefully that will, um, you know, I think that's a good thing for our country. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think let's dive into, into the chat with Reshma. I think, I think our listeners are probably like, you know, excited and can't wait to hear more from her. Absolutely. Welcome to the Modern Honestly podcast, Reshma. How are you? Oh, bless you. Doing great. I know it's, you know, you are probably doing a tour all around the country about your book, and we are just so inspired by you and your journey as founder of Girls Who Code, Marshall Plans for Mom, You've also written a book before, and now you have Pay Up, The Future of Women and Work. Wow. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like beaming with pride on your behalf. I'm just so excited. I would love for you to share with our guests just your journey, not only as all of these things that I mentioned, but I also know you have two wonderful kids, and I just want you to share your journey and your role as a mother. Mm. You know, I think my journey always begins as the daughter of refugees. You know, my parents came to this country in 1973. Um, my mother was, you know, six months pregnant with my sister. Uh, they were taken in by the Catholic Charities, and they built a life for themselves. And you know, from the time I was a little girl, I wanted to make a difference, and I wanted to make a difference for for women and girls. And so, like my whole life, we always say, so you know, I'm a Hindu. We always say, like, what has God put you on this earth to do? And so, my whole life. I think is about being a warrior and, and fighting. I desperately wanted to be a mom. The journey for me was harder than I thought it was going to be. I had, you know, several miscarriages and infertility until I had my first son. 
And, you know, when I started this pandemic, I was about to have my second son and I was running Girls Who Code. We just had a Super Bowl ad and I was on the top of the world. And then the pandemic hit and blessing most of my leadership team were working moms. And so many of us were reliant on uh, the public school system, you know, reliant on our amazing, you know, caretakers, our family members, and all of that support really disappeared when the school shut down. And, you know, we started to see the impact on our Girls Who Code community. So many of my students had been waiting to go to college, major in computer science, decided not to go to college or step back from school because they became caretakers because their mothers were essential workers. So we really saw the impact of the lack of care, you know, child care, paid leave, you know, having a parental income, you know, both on our community, on our society, on my team. And so I started the Marshall Plan for Moms really out of just like mom rage and just anger. Um, and, you know, it has led to building a movement and, you know, where I'm really turning a lot of my work to is the workplace because of Girls Who Code. Like that is the place where I've spent the past 10 years of my leadership and really understanding how companies work, how you make change, how you bring voice, how do you bring light to communities that are underrepresented in the workforce or under, under cared for in the workforce. Uh, and I think that we have just have this, as you know, this incredible opportunity and moment right now with the great resignation and coming out of the pandemic and recognizing that, wow, workplaces were never built for women. They were never built for women of color. And that now that we may have some power and leverage in the middle of this talent war, that we can actually shift it and change it. Rashma, I'd love to talk more specifically about the concept of unpaid labor, which I think is one that is still not very well understood and quite frankly, hasn't been discussed in the mainstream the way as well as it could be. Can you help define it and share how you're tackling it through your work with the Marshall Plan for Moms? Well, unpaid labor is all the caregiving work, the domestic work, the cognitive labor that women do. And, you know, two thirds of caregiving work is done by women. Women do two and a half jobs before they even get to their workplace. They've been doing all of this unpaid labor. And if you really look in many ways of the history of feminism, so much about feminism was about getting women into the workplace, but not actually acknowledging nor shifting the gender equation of the caregiving work that is done predominantly, again, by women. And so, again, I think the pandemic shined a light on this. Because, you know, when we started the pandemic, we were we were 51% of the labor force, but we were always hanging by a thread because we were doing all of this unpaid labor. And workplaces have basically said to us, like, you can, you can work, but hide your motherhood. Don't put pictures of your kids on the table. Don't tell me you got to leave at three, you know what I mean, and go to a doctor's appointment. Like, don't, please don't let your kids interrupt the Zoom call that we're doing. But we have been forcing moms to really hide their motherhood and then penalizing them for it. You know, we, one of the things that's really fascinating is the workforce has never allowed mothers to move in and out of the workforce without penalty. And so, for example, what drives me nuts, and I'm sure blessing drives you nuts too, is like when we talk about the motherhood penalty and we talk about, I'm sorry, when we talk about the pay gap, the pay gap is not between childless women and childless men. The pay gap is between mothers and fathers. In fact, the largest pay gap is between childless women and mothers. 
So you lose almost 40% of your income when you leave the workforce for less than a year. And so that is, again, because of the unpaid labor expectations that you have. And so women are always supplementing their paid labor for unpaid labor, which is why we never get to pay equity once you start having a lot of that unpaid labor responsibilities, which is inevitably what happens when you become a caretaker. Absolutely. I, and on Twitter, I wrote, I think it was an equal payday. And I was like, I mean, the only reason the pay gap exists is because of the marginal bias. I mean, that's one of the major, that's probably 90% of the reason why, you know, we have a pay gap in the first yeah. place. So Reshma, in, in pay up, you said, you said something that really resonated with me. And it was, yes, we can have big jobs. Yes, we can have families. But no, we cannot have both in the current paradigm that exists in this country at least not without damaging our partnerships, our career tra trajectory, earning potential, and the well-being of our kids, as well as our own mental and physical health. Can you expand more on that? Because I feel like that just packs a lot of all the things that we've been talking about. Um, and you know this. We, I mean, I feel like I, I call you a professional troublemaker. You know how to make trouble. I loved when Marshall Plans came out. And, you know, can you just share a little bit about why, you know, all of these things are happening in a society that as, you know, being around, like, you know, the U.S. is one of the most progressive countries in the world, and we are still here where all of these things are happening. Careers are being damaged, partnerships are being damaged because we don't have a safety net. Yeah. So I think there's two places where I think about when you when you just said that, think about one, I think is culture, American culture, and the second piece is corporate feminism. So in American culture, this is a very distinctly American thing. We think motherhood is a choice. And so we don't, we are not, like, again, why the only, the only community to not get bailed out over the past two years has been moms. We bailed out airlines. We're doing something about student loans. We probably will do something about climate change, but we're not going to do anything about childcare or paid leave. And so again, because I think there's a lot of, and I've had a lot of these fights, I should say, or disagreements over the past couple of weeks, which have been really interesting since my book has gone out. And even in communities, which I would call friendlies, where there's just this sense of that, like, well, mothers have never been treated as a, um, a protected class. We've never really acknowledged or accepted the discrimination that mothers face in American culture. And the pandemic has really shown a light on this. And we, we as mothers and allies really have to kind of push and say, hey, like, if you look at France, you look at Canada, you look at these other countries, they provide support to women or to parents when they be, have children. And so what is it about American culture that makes us have a lot of feelings about this? You know, what is the resistance towards having paid leave? Why are we not ashamed when... 80% of women go back to work seven days after having a child. Why are we not ashamed that we pay more to our zookeepers than we pay to our childcare workers? Why are we not ashamed, you know, when the largest costs, you know, of, of many American families is childcare, when, when mothers like my mom have to make unconscionable choices every day because they can't afford childcare, that they leave their kids alone. Or, you know what I mean? Or in, in, in situations because they don't have a choice. And so why are why is that so deeply part of our culture? And I, I think the second piece about this is really about where corporate feminism went wrong. And listen, I, I bought into this. I was, you know, one of the peddlers of this. This idea that like, you know, that um, that you should work real hard 
and lean in real hard and girl boss your way to the top. And that when you do a quality, it's just an express train to the corner office. And what we should be focusing on is about color coding our calendar and finding a mentor, you know, and getting a sponsor that if we do all those things, that if we fix the woman, we don't need to fix the structure. And that's really where we want. I mean, if you think about blessing all of the books that have come out, whether it's confidence code or lean in, and again, these are women I admire that all of we've been telling women for so long, 30, 40, 50 years, fix yourself. You're broken. You're wrong. If you're not making it, you're wrong, which is why you look at, again, the past two days, I've seen two incredible articles in the New York Times and the Washington Wall Street Journal about, you know, antidepressants and alcoholism. I mean, we have a mental health epidemic with working mothers who, again, are either popping pills or drinking themselves into an oblivion because they think something's wrong with them because they can't manage what's going on at home and manage their work. And this is something we have done to women. And we have to acknowledge it and we have to stop and then figure out how we unwind it. And that's the, that is, when you talk about being a troublemaker, that's the thing that I am really fired up about because it is, again, if we're not careful, if we don't fight back, they're going to keep going back to the old corporate feminism where we are, again, yet tricked into thinking that it's our fault. It's our fault that we feel exhausted and tired and burnt out. It's all our fault that we are wondering why we're not getting that opportunity or that promotion. It's our fault, you know, that our kids are traumatized. It's our fault that, you know, we can't get our partners to do more. Again, it's all of the blame is put on us. I want to pause here and talk about our partner, Indeed. The last few years have forced women to rethink the role that work plays in their lives. In fact, flexibility has become a major priority for women going back to work. As a mother of four, I understand how important it is to have flexibility in your job. As much as I would love for things to always go according to plan, life with kids is unpredictable Indeed can help mamas like you find a company that is empathetic and understanding of your needs. Because it's not just about finding a place to work, it's about finding a job that works for you. With Indeed, you can find a job that has the flexibility to fit your life, not the other way around. Not to mention, with Indeed's Work Happiness Report, you can make sure a company scores well on the things that matters most to you like compensation, inclusion, and flexibility. Visit indeed.com slash better work to learn more about how Indeed is committed to helping women find better work. I, I want to just bring up very quickly something that we did here, but honestly, this was right during the pandemic and we were asking moms, you know, you know, where do you feel like you've come up short, right? Have you failed? Where do you feel like you're failing? And they said, you know, we had options. We were like, you know, are you failing? Do you feel like you're failing your kids? Do you feel like you're failing your employers? Do you feel like you're failing, you know, your partner? So we had all these different choices and I just walked away and I was like, yay, let's see what the responses will be. And then I came back and my DMs were full and moms were like, well, why didn't you put that we were failing ourselves? And I was like, wait, I 
like what? And so we had to redo the survey and 95% of mothers said they felt like they were feeling themselves. Yeah. And Reshma, I literally, I, I went to the bathroom and I cried. Like I was, I couldn't even, I couldn't stand up. Like I leaned on the, on the toilet mm. seat and I was like, this is not funny. Like this is of all the things that I've ever done at Mother Honestly, like that one broke me because it wasn't even my intent to ask this question. And for moms to feel like, whoa, all of these things are not like, these are fine, but like, I feel like I'm failing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the one, I'm the problem. That mm -hmm. broke me. Yeah. It's so, it's, and we've been conditioned. Away. We've been conditioned. And that was a big aha for me, right? Like it, even the fact I get like, the question about imposter syndrome. And I'm like, no, don't ask that. There's nothing wrong with you. And it's like, this is the deep conditioning that we have to do the next five years and make sure again, we don't do it to our girls because we have literally been um, brainwashed. There's no other word. So we don't focus on again, the structure and we don't focus on all the things that we should be getting because again, I don't, this is a very American thing. Women don't feel like this in Canada, in France. They don't ask these questions. I've, and I speak all over the world. I have never, ever been asked that in Europe or in Canada, only here. Yeah. Blessing, I remember that survey and I felt the same way. I so appreciated what you said a moment ago, Rashma, about the, you know, buying into these philosophies of working harder and leaning in. And I still, I'm the mother of two boys as well. And I still find that I am running myself ragged at, you know, everything between school and work and all of these things that I take such great pride in. And I think that is also part of it because it is hard for women, I think, and I relate to this, to let go of this idea of, you know, doing our work perfectly. We don't want to sacrifice on the home front because our kids deserve more. We don't want to sacrifice at work because our, you know, we take pride in the work that we do. And so now these conversations surrounding the idea of paying up seem to be, you know, I think the negative narrative that swirls around that is that we are asking to be paid to take care of our children or to do, or just to show up for the work that we have to do. And I think that's a really yeah. troubling reality when it is, um, you know, I don't clearly through this conversation, that's not what we're asking for. So I'm curious, have you received any pushback about that? And how do you address that? Yeah. I mean, but I think the question is that I talk about this in the book, it's like, why, why are we, why do we feel uncomfortable about that? Because yeah. in other countries, they do pay you for having a child. So what is it that makes us feel uncomfortable about being paid for our unpaid labor and putting a number and a value uh, on it? You know, our friend Eve talks about this blessing. You talk about this, you know, why, what is it? Women, the wages for housework women talked about this. Why does that make people feel uncomfortable? And I think that that's where we have to sit is why do why do we want women to just do this work for free? Do you have a theory is this about that? because that means that we love our, we love our children more? I, I think that it's part of again this conspiracy. I mean, consp not cons I mean, yes, conspiracy. I mean, like meaning like this is the way we never wanted women in the workforce. We always wanted women to be at home doing the caretaking, and again, not all women, white women, and so. 
and we've made very clear whether it's our social security laws, our tax laws, pay inequity, like we've made it very clear about who we want to be working and who we want to be home with the kids. And so part of it is to make, you know, again, women feel like, well, you should just do this out of love. You should do this out of, you know, because you want to. And I, and I think, again, that's just part of culture that we have to really change because there's this great post I, and someone had put in Reddit, um, this woman had done this whole thing about her partner wanted her to have a baby and she put together an entire report. Yes. You see that? Yes. And I posted it on my Instagram and I just weekend reading the comments. It was brilliant because women were like, hell yeah. Can I have, can you please do a TED talk that. and can I see your spreadsheet? And it was men who were, some men who were like, oh, I don't know about that. Sure. So, so again, that's patriarchy because there is an actual, you can really put a numerical value on the unpaid labor, on the cost. And so, and so I want us to kind of sit there and stay there. And again, I've had lots of, lots of these conversations over the past couple of weeks as my book has launched, you know, from allies, from women who don't have children who say, well, why should I pay for your, yeah. why should I support your childcare? Again, these are, these are lefty progressive women and I appreciate their honesty about it, you know? And then there's other women who are like, yes, well, I mean, I just like, that's out of love. Like we shouldn't want anything for it. And, and so I find it very fascinating. And I think we have to keep sitting in this conversation of the unpaid labor of, you know, trying to understand this is why the bill doesn't pass in Washington. This is why the United States doesn't have paid leave. It's why the United, because we don't, the core of it is this cultural belief that mothers are martyrs. Yes. And that everything we do should be out of love and we should not ask for anything. And it's also why. And, and Reshma. No, go ahead. Reshma, do you think that this is, do you think this is because, you know, because we did another survey right after this one, because that, you know, we got very curious and we asked moms if they feel like that, you know, by doing the, those, um, that unpaid work, that unpaid labor, if that makes them feel less than a mom and 80% said, yes, they said that, you know, if they're not folding laundry and fundling the toothbrushes, mm -hmm. fundling groceries at the stores, they feel like they are not mm -hmm. a good mom. And so, so do you think that's the core of this? Are we our own problem? I, you know, I mean, let, let's just put it out there, right? Like if, if we're going to talk about this, I think we need to be honest with yeah. ourselves. If we don't want change, right? Like, can we even go out there and demand change from, you know, unwilling, um, you know, Congress or unwilling policymakers? Can we, first of all, address why is it that we, as women, are uncomfortable talking about this unpaid yeah, it's work? Such a great, I, it's a wonderful question. And I think it's, again, another thing that we have to like, and I think you are, I, listen, this, I, in my book, I talk about the need for, you know, for tangible boundaries. So like, you know, there are so many women who like, for my friends, we'll go on a girl's trip. Half of them make all the food, plan the play dates, do all the laundry, and then they leave. And, you know, and, and part of it is, again, they're deciding that their partner didn't tell them to do that. They did that. And so part of that, I think, is this expectation of like feeling guilty of doing something for themselves 
without making sure that everyone else is taken care of. Um, and I think the sec so I think part of that is society culture, every image, every movie, every pr presentation, right? Like the movie, bad moms, the, the worst thing you can say to a mom is she's a bad mom. You know what I mean? When my son said that to me one day, I was like, ah, right. It's like literally the, like the, the most, the worst, the worst thing you can say to somebody. And so we are really, really, really focused on being a good mom. And, and then secondly, listen, I think that like, I know for me, like when we go on a trip, I'll pack all the kids stuff. I'll do everything. My husband just grabs his bag. Again, he's, you know, a feminist, but this is how we travel. And we've, I need to break this habit. When we get in the car and he looks at me and he says, oh, did you get, did you get Sean's froggy? I'm like, yeah, I got it. There's a bit of pride that we have in this identity and in doing this identity perfectly that has come in some ways as like our, our little, I don't know, our little reward for all of the crap we have to do. This sense of like, oh, at least I'm able to do that well. And so I do think that we have to reconcile this stuff that part of getting through and getting to 50, 50 on the, on the, on the equation and on the work is about letting yeah. some of it go. And in, in many ways, you know, I was thinking about my friends that are same sex couples and watching how, you know, two men in a relationship parent, and they kind of have that right where they do have the delegation, they do sharing, they do let go of the perfection stuff. The kids clothes are on backwards. They maybe haven't eaten um, every single meal. They are in smelly clothes. Like, you know what I mean? They, they don't focus on yeah. this perfection piece. And that is very deeply ingrained and, and, and we're socialized to be perfect. I write about this in my last book, Brave Not Perfect. So I think it is about unlearning, you know what I mean, some of these behaviors and letting go a little bit on this identity that we have so carefully been crafted or been initiated into, this, this club of being a perfect mom. Totally. We'd love to hear your thoughts on fixing workplaces. So all of this conversation leads us, you know, we talk a lot about the personal impressions that we have about motherhood and how we can, um, you know, what we can do to maybe reframe our idea of what being an excellent mother is. It's not, it doesn't have to be no laundry piles and a perfect, you know, bento box snack and all of these things that I remind myself all the time, don't make me a good mom. And I struggle with that too. And blessing, and I'm so lucky to have blessing to talk about these things because I think that we all struggle with them all of the time, but I don't want to, and I don't think anyone here wants to, um, you know, act as though the responsibility is solely on the mother to resolve these cultural um, things that have contributed to this. Yeah. So can you, can we talk, can you talk more specifically about um, examples of what, what employers can do to build a workplace where mothers can yeah. thrive? Yeah. I mean, so for, you know, first of all, I think we just have to redesign workplaces so that they work, finally work for women. And, you know, I think part of that begins one with really stop fighting flexibility and remote working period, you know, recognize that like work days are nine to five school days are nine to three. And that we have got to reconcile the fact that we have always built workplaces around the fact that it's a Ford dude that has somebody maybe staying at home. And that's not what the workforce looks like. Um, you know, secondly, one of the things I feel very strong about we're building a campaign around is subsidizing childcare. You know, childcare is an economic issue in many ways, like healthcare. And so many companies pay for you to freeze your eggs, 
pay for your gym memberships, but you should be paying for childcare. And, you know, we have a report coming out about what the business case of that is. You know, three, it's not enough just to offer paid leave, but we have to mandate men to take it. And companies really need to audit their policies in terms of what are their what are the corporate policies that are exacerbating gender inequality at home? You know, we just went through Women's History Month, and I bet you there are millions of talks about how to get a mentor, how to get a sponsor, how to color code your calendar, how to delegate more. Literally, you have to throw out the entire programming that you do for women. And I know this is a hard one. And you have to re-examine, you know, literally what your role is in creating equality at home. And so we should be encouraging, quite frankly, Women's History Month should be like, a bunch, every fact, every man getting into a conference room and, and like making a commitment on how much laundry they're going to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even joking. You, you know what I mean? Like, but again, we have to completely repro. And for those of you that are working in for companies, I mean, as HR consultants or DNI consultants or helping them think about diversity, I, this is my advice to you. It's like, you have to literally write an entirely different program of what you do when you're a part of a women ERG group or a parenting ERG group, because everything we're doing is about fixing yeah. the woman and not fixing the structure. And if every, every company went inward and said, let me examine everything, all of my, all of my benefits, everything that I do, everything I say, um, and then had a KPI, but I want every single one of my employees to, if they're in a two person, you know, heteronormative household to the goal is for by the end of the year for them to move the needle in terms of caregiving work. You know, if I have a company that has a lot of single moms, what am I doing to alleviate their burden? How am I, how am I doing a mental health audit instead of just a performance audit? So we have to just, again, completely shift. And it is a radical shift. It's a radical idea. And I've been doing these talks now for, you know, a month and people are just like, okay, wow, this is, this is like, this is radical. This is like, and we can't go back. We cannot go. And, and I'm saying to everyone who's listening, right, do not participate in another talk put on by your company that is going to give you a freaking skill set because you don't need any more skills. You got enough skills. You need support. Oh yeah. I'm, 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 I don't, when they send me things like, you know, you're going to get skills and training. I'm like, no, miss yeah. me with that. Write me a check, first of all, and then we can talk. Uh, and, you know, Reshma, you already know this. One of the things that we're doing um, with Eve, which we are bringing you on and a few other folks, is an unpaid labor summit. Because part of this, like you said, is we need to stop talking to ourselves. So we realized that um, the last Caregiving and Walk Summit, we had six dads come to the summit and asking them questions. We were drilling them. I'm sure they were like, oh my word, why did we show up? And the reason was, you know, I, I just said, you know what? We can't keep talking to ourselves as much as we're mother, honestly, which we are not changing our name by the way, because we know that the inequalities that face women is truly because of their role 100%. as mothers. So we really feel very strongly tied to their name. But that doesn't mean that we can't chat with dads. So we brought six dads on and we had this conversation about, you know, the unpaid work that is the responsibility of the woman at home. Thank you for listening to the Mother Honestly podcast, a production of the Motor City Woman. Before you go, the Mother Honestly membership is open. We offer programs and toolkits that support you on the home front and work front. 
Corporate memberships are also available for employers looking to provide real solutions to employees at home and at work. Our Mother Honestly team are Robin Kinney, Audrey Goodson-Kingle, Christine All, Oluchi Obonaya, Fumbi Showande, and more. Follow us on social media at Mother Honestly. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Your reviews are important to us. Leave us a review and share with a friend. Come back next week as we level up with Indeed.